1: Welcome to the March 8th edition, the Wednesday edition of the World of NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. It is a jammed pack, jam-packed podcast, I should say. Both AFC East and NFC South are going to be recapped, uh, going over each team's expected moves. Um, Aaron Rodgers, if you've ever heard of him before, possibly the Jets. Uh, we're going to talk about the NFC South as well, too, after their massive new move with the uh, Saints, specifically in Derek Carr. Lots to cover and a little bit of foreshadowing for next week's podcast as well too excited to get to all that and more let's dive right in and welcome to the march 8th edition of the Wire nfl podcast brought to you by underdog fantasy i'm joe bartle alongside me as always jim coventry again jim massive packed podcast today because we need to cover both the afc east and the nfc south next week next week march 15th opening day of free agency the the the, the everything part of it legal tampering is like two days before literally first day of free agency will be picking off march 15th jim and i will be live on rotowire socials uh on the podcast platform and we'll have a podcast ready for you as that's happening it will either be chaotic awful or somewhere in between so I'm, i'm very excited for that looking forward to doing the live free agent podcast for itself uh and uh diving into that when it comes next week but because of that jamming a few of these divisions uh, in a two-part, uh, more or less, podcast. So I'm excited for that as well, too. Jim, how are you doing today?
2: Uh, doing extremely well. It is getting exciting. Like you said, free agency's coming up. Uh, we already had a combine. So, yeah, life is good, and let's just get rolling here.
1: Yes, yeah, a lot of different teams, obviously, a lot of different cap situations. In past podcasts, I've broken down, like the offense, defense, and uh, different situations. Because we've wanted to tailor this off-season podcast really to highlight the transactional moves, what teams could do, and things that we picked up last year as well, there's going to be more focus offensively from a fantasy perspective as to what these moves will mean for different teams um, and everything else. So we'll kick off things with the AFC East and, of course, the division-winning Bills sitting at 13-3. They didn't play that Bengals game, so 13-3, not 13-4, 14-3. They have that first-round pick, uh, number 28 overall. Another disappointing season, I think, for a lot of people who had Super Bowl expectations for Josh Allen and the Bills. They're going to be in a difficult cap spot as well, too. So at the moment, uh, March 8th, $17 million over the cap space. You have Jordan Poyer, their their Pro Bowl safety, Roger Saffold, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, really critical part, middle linebacker for them. And Devin Singletary is probably the most notable free agents for them. Of course, they had signed Von Miller to that massive deal last offseason. A lot of people were surprised by that. You have Josh Allen getting his major extension. I think that's the first move the Bills will likely make to free up cap space. You can really pretty easily adjust that, much like Patrick Mahomes does with the Chiefs, to free up about $21 million in cap space. That only puts you marginally over. There's other moves like Tim Settle, uh, Teron Johnson, their cornerback. You could cut both and maybe save $9 million. Mitch Morris, their starting uh, center, $6 million. I don't know what your thoughts on Naheem Hines are, Jim. We'll talk about that in a second. You cut him, that's $5 million. I mean, these were the obvious moves. NFL teams now are so well-versed in the contract that it's not as easy uh, to just outright project what you could do. But suffice to say, there's not a lot of obvious choices and easy choices the Bills can make to both massage the cap and, and make them you know, uh, able to actually be liable for it now, but also to incorporate the draft picks and any possible moves. I don't think a big free agent move is coming for the bills this off season. So I guess with that being said, what do you feel like the top target for the bills should be to improve this team and get them over the chiefs Bengals hump?
2: Well, their biggest liability has been offensive line, but Josh Allen has kind of gotten them away from that. So I don't know that they're going to go there. I, I think that him being the big rugged guy. And I know we heard his elbow last year It they mm-hmm. have nothing to do with getting hit, but I think they're going to be willing to take that risk that not investing in the line defensively. They took a hit last year and it was injuries and we didn't see that coming. They were an elite unit the prior year, but when you start piling up key injuries, it's a problem. and, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do defensively because they are going to have to be better than they were down the stretch last year. So I do think, and and let's just get this one out of the way. There's really not much at wide receiver and free agency. Mm -hmm. So bringing in a number two for them really isn't in the cards. So I'm going to default and say, they're going to have to go defense and just make sure they get that unit back near the high level they were at in 2021.
1: Yeah, uh, Tredavious White was injured for a lot of the season, kind of affecting the secondary, but you'd have thought the pass rush can make things difficult, and it did against some of the lesser teams, but they were exposed against some of the more difficult teams, I think the Dolphins game, really at the the, the playoff Dolphins game, but also the one in which they won and, and set the stage for Tua and all of his health issues after that was another example of when you're playing good teams, like the Bills were, you can't get that consistent pressure working for you to make that secondary look better. I think that kind of was the story of 2020 for a lot of different teams overall, a lot of overall scheme and life lessons we learned um, for different franchises. That that would be one of them. But Travis White should be back, and there's another guy that you can maybe restructure his contract, figuring he is going to be a key piece for the defense of the future. I don't think Tremaine Edmonds will come back. It's possible he's going to price himself out uh, from a free agent perspective which means their third round pick from last year is going to have to step up pretty significantly to take over that defensive role. Other guys like Jordan Poyer I mentioned as well, too. I don't know if he comes back. I almost wonder if Micah Hyde might be a possible cut, too. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine both Poyer and Hyde not being on the team or at least one of them being on the team. Hyde could save almost $9 million, was injured all of last season. We've seen teams make business decisions in the past. I could see that safety spot, whether it be Poyers or Hyde's, really being addressed uh, heavily in the draft to make that position a little bit more cheap if they're trying to improve defensively.
2: You know, one of the things that made that defense click a couple of years ago is that both Poyer and Hyde have cornerback skills aside from being safeties. Mm. And it allowed them flexibility because their base is typically nickel where they have five defensive backs on the field. They are playing to stop the pass. Sean McDermott, the coach is one who does not believe that teams are going to beat you at the run game, go ahead and run. They're decent enough against them. So it's going to be interesting. It would be hard for them to let both Poyer and Hyde leave unless they can come up with some unique, Player, And that's going to be a tough sell because that's going to change a lot of what they do and the pass rush. So they brought in some younger guys, Boogie Basham, uh, you know, among others, and they're okay. But it wasn't until Von Miller was in Mm -hmm. the lineup with them that they were able to realize their potential. So on their own, they weren't game changers. But when they were secondary options, that depth, and they were able to rotate a number of people through their pass rush, that makes it work. So getting Miller back healthy will be huge. But that safety position, it's going to be interesting because, as I said, they that really is the straw that serves the drink for the secondary on defense. More than the corners, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, uh, and then offensively, it's going to be the running back. You mentioned the receiver. You have Gabe Davis still under contract, uh, Stephon Diggs. The uh, Crowder and Cole Beasley are free agents. They're, they're the kind of slot depth guys. They still have Isaiah McKenzie, who could be a, a cap casualty. I don't imagine they would only save like $2.5 Feels like a, a backwards move for them because you can't get an asset all that much cheaper than McKenzie, who knows that Bill system. So it's the running back, and it's been their bugaboo for a number of years now. We had Singletary not do a whole lot. Zach Moss was included in that Naheem Hines trade with the Colts. Hines was a great returner, but for $5 million, you're paying for a Turner. I, they might have to be have other priorities than that. They drafted James Cook in the second round. I know a lot of fantasy managers are excited about that, specifically in the dynasty community. I mean, it, it might be James Cook's time. I, I don't know if Singletary does come back on a tenable contract for the Bills. But I almost wonder if they do choose to dive in. Like, if the one free agent move they make this year is at a position, could it be running back? I mean, could they? that has been the issue for them in the past two years is that they'll get these high leads And then not really able to salt it away because guys like Singletary and Zach Moss just aren't capable enough when teams know they need to run the ball or they're trying to run the ball. I don't think James could fix that category either. So I I wonder if they do invest uh, specifically because the free agent market should be pretty good for running backs. Maybe they try to improve upon that position.
2: Yeah, James Cook goes about 190 pounds. So I think he does work into a 15-touch-per-game role. But the majority of his targets came in the last six games of the season. And I do think they want to acclimate him as a pass catcher and an occasional runner. I don't think they want to make him, as you're intimating, you don't want to make the 190-pound guy, the guy that's taken between the tackles too often. I think he can handle eight to ten carries and then you know the other five might be targets in that range roughly and so at that point free agency is very interesting this year because there are no break the bank guys and teams aren't going to spend for running backs anyway but it is a deep class to get a rotational player i mean we could go david montgomery Kareem Hunt, Deontay Foreman, mm-hmm. Damian Harris. I mean, that's a group of four. Probably none of them are going to be highly sought after. Teams are certainly not paying running backs, especially each of them have their own list of issues. But it would be very plausible for the Bills to bring in one or two on cheaper contracts, which is that's what these players are have to settle for. They're not getting big money. So it is a year to shop for value. And if any of these running backs are looking to play for a Super Bowl, it might be a real easy sell to say, look, you're coming in for 8 to 12 carries. A lot of them might sign up for that very quickly.
1: Yeah, and you think about the names that have been thrown around via trade. Nick Chubb, Derek Henry as well too. That's the high end of the running back market. And then this draft class, which I know the combine was a little bit disappointing for a lot of people um, expecting like higher 40 times, things like that. It's still a very deep class of seven, eight, nine guys that could easily be rotational backs as well to another cheap asset. My thought is with a free agency that's pretty deep at running back, not not top-heavy, but deep, uh, top-end guys possibly available for trade, Derek Henry possibly cheaply, depending on what the Titans want to do, and draft capital guys out there, I mean, it all converges into one where this might be a massive area for running backs to be found, but a, a discount relative to past years. And I would not be surprised at all if the Bills choose to dive into that direction. So let's move over to the Dolphins, who sit at 9-8, and eight, of course, uh, made the playoffs, lost the Bills in a pretty competitive game despite having Skylar Thompson as your quarterback. Uh, going over the whole free agency stuff, it was a little boring for the Dolphins. They're currently uh, $1 million over the cap. That includes Byron Jones' post-June 1 cut, which was announced yesterday. Their key free agents, Mike Jasicki, got to imagine he's gone uh, to a different team, maybe an Evan Ingram uh, type of situation for another another franchise. Great. Teddy Bridgewater, Eric Rowe, the starting safety. Melvin Ingram, I, surprisingly a pretty good rotational pass rusher. And then the two running backs, Raheem Oster, Jeff Wilson, add that to the many lengthy list of, of veteran guys uh, who could be rotational key pieces. I, I don't know what the Dolphins really need to do a whole lot from a frigid perspective. They'll likely extend Christian Wilkins, one of the top draft picks uh, for Greer, I guess one of the best draft picks, maybe the better way of putting it. Uh, So he'll want that on his resume that, Hey, I got a good guy. Look at Christian Wilkins. I would assume that I'll free about 10 million in cap space. Once an extension is reached. And then there's the restructuring of contracts for both Terry kill and Bradley Chubb who they acquired this off season. Rough guesstimates for me was about 20 million saved for that. And then cutting Durham Smythe, which was a ridiculous contract extension last year, saves them 5 million this year. So let's just say with those moves, you're talking 35, 40 million in cap space. Jim that, that that sounds like an awfully nice spot for uh, Lamar Jackson except for the Dolphins uh definitely are not interested in Lamar Jackson whatsoever that'd be ridiculous to assume <laughs> something like that I the, the Dolphins are going to have to make a decision at quarterback whether it be Lamar Jackson whether it be Tua and all of his different injuries you have Herbert and Burrow with that first uh, or that that extension likely happening this offseason well Tua is in that category too or there's always that Tom Brady thing which Rich Eisen was pointing out uh on his show uh, Monday post combine saying Oh, Tom Brady actually might want to come to the Dolphins. I've heard that one before. Suffice to say, Jim, lots to do with the quarterbacks uh, with the Dolphins, and I have no idea which direction they choose to do.
2: No, and look, and I always say this, I preface this, I am very concerned for the health of Tua Tungo by That's my concern, that I don't want this young man – having his head in a spot where he can't function in his life. That's all that matters, but we're talking fantasy football. So we will bring up that aspect of it. The dolphins have to have had internal discussions. What they tell us publicly is not what they're saying privately. They have to be terrified. I would imagine that if something happens to him on their watch at this point, it would be very problematic for them to be able to, at a human level, put him out there in dangerous way. Now is it's, it seems to me it's probable they pull him out there this year. But I think if he has another head injury, I don't know if they're going to put him back on the field. And that's me. It's a complete opinion. There is nothing to base that on. So understand that. I'm not telling you that two is done. I'm not saying that. But I am very concerned, and I know they are concerned. Those are some scary injuries. And, you know, all this buzz going around that nobody is going to talk to Lamar Jackson. And I don't know what that is. This might be very simple. There's two things to look at. He wants this guaranteed contract. I wonder if the owners, and this is, this is not legal for them to do. have said behind closed doors, the Deshaun Watson thing was what it was, but this is a situation where they can't set a new precedent of guaranteed contracts for quarterbacks, because once another team does this, that becomes the norm. Any quarterback now has that right now, The league can still – I mean, the owners can still say, look, that was an exceptional situation. There were teams bidding for his services. It it was weird. But if they do it again, any quarterback coming up. So this might be teams refusing to talk to him. And they also – think about this. And I know we're talking the Dolphins. But a team would have to not only give up two first-round picks – But this isn't a quarterback on a rookie deal. They'd be paying him, what, 50 million a year. Mm -hmm. So now you don't have cap flexibility. You don't have new first-round picks. It's a rough situation to bring him into. And I get it that he's a very good quarterback. But now he's gotten hurt a little bit, and he's a mobile quarterback. These are organizational questions. He's a very risky player to bring in because it's just not money. It's a lot more.
1: Yeah, what and, you're referring to, Jim is collusion. Uh and do I think collusion is happening right now in the NFL? 100%. I think the the owners are 100% conspiring to make sure Lamar Jackson does not get guaranteed money. Uh I don't even understand why because I, the Deshaun Watson thing was what it was. We also had Kirk Cousins get guaranteed money. Like this is they're acting like they've never done this before. Yes you guys have. You, you 100% have. Just pay the person what they're worth. This is not that hard america uh but also the owners too so like no i I, i'm annoyed by but to your point jim i don't know if the dolphins are the exact fit they are rolling some incredibly uh loaded but not like good dice loaded as in like lots of bad things can happen dice in this situation with Tua, you had mentioned his injury history if he were to suffer another head injury what would that happen i don't know i mean like that's that's uh we're bordering on uncharted territory if that does occur but this is also your franchise asset. I mean, you draft him ahead of Justin Herbert for a reason. This is a quarterback that you're building around theoretically cheaper. And the reason why you have Tyree kill on the deal that you do is because you knew you had Tua for at least two more years at this lower price tag. You can't guarantee that. But at the same point, the trajectory of this team might be better than jets. We're going to talk about in a second in terms of playoff aspirations, uh, competitive in their conference aspirations. And this team offensively with Mike McDaniel was really damn good. And I don't, and that was with Tua who has clear limitations. So I, there's no right way to go about the situation. There's a lot of wrong ways. I don't, I don't know what they do. Um, I'm not sure Lamar is the correct choice because of that first round pick they lost due to the collusion with Tom Brady. Uh, (laughs) Like that's, that's then you're talking about next year's first and the year after, I think if we're following along with how the non-transactional or uh, transition take goes, it doesn't make sense for the Dolphins to do it. But a few of these other teams who we'll talk about today, yes. And that they have openly said thus far that they're not going to. That is collusion to me, uh, point blank and simple, in my opinion. So not much else with the Dolphins, at least uh, given our time constraints uh, in the podcast. Let's turn our attention to the Patriots, who I was actually shocked have $32 million in cap space. I think they're fifth most right now in the NFL. Key free agents, Jonathan Jones, they have already said they will not franchise tag. I don't know why that had to be uh, reported, but, okay, good to know that they were not going to do something stupid. Uh, Jacoby Myers, uh, likely priced out of his landing spot with the Patriots, perhaps. Isaiah Wynn, likely getting a large deal as well, too. Jabril Peppers, uh, certainly a disappointment post-Giants and has been a rotational defense guy for them. Damian Harris, you mentioned on the rotational running back, and the Marcus Cannon, uh, a quality enough tackle. I thought for sure Johnny Smith was going to be cut. But it was that sp- uh, spending spree two years ago that is still hurting the Patriots today. They can't do anything with Jenna Smith until that post-June 1st. And even then, it only saves $4.5 million. Nelson Aguilar is a fridge, and this year. He was a disappointment. Kendrick Bourne could be cut, save $5 million. Uh, not great. Devontae Parker, you could cut him for $6 million pretty easily as well, too. You can free up close to 50 to $60 million in space for the Patriots. My concern, Jim, is you did this whole thing two years ago. And you were awful at it. You made a whole bunch of really bad choices with the really bad players, thinking you would be scheme fits for you. And Bill Belichick is amazing, but he wasn't that amazing. They need, like, actually good players. And I'm a little bit worried if I was a Patriots fan knowing, oh, we got a lot of money. Are we actually going to get good players with it? I don't know.
2: You know, when you mentioned all these players they brought in last year, I could not believe – They rolled with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia as (laughs) co-offensive coordinators. So, look, we're we're talking about Mac Jones for a minute here. Mac Jones was decent his rookie year. He was bad his second year. But was it the coaching? It was not an NFL offense they were running. It it was some Stone Age foolishness. It was bad. And this is not the coaching you need for a young quarterback. Now, they bring in Bill O'Brien. Okay. It, many things you may say about Bill O'Brien, but at least he's capable of putting together an NFL offense. Right. So mm-hmm. this I think we really have to give Mac Jones a bit of a pass. Now, for them, Tyquan Thornton, who showed a few flashes, yep. he is going to have to come out of it. They're going to need him. Because as you mentioned, they have so many receivers who are probably on the way out. Not a lot of versatility with these guys. Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, just the versatility. is Well, they incredible. all do the
1: same thing. That, that's yes. like the issue with it, right? That they, they all more or less do the same thing, whereas Tyquan Thornton, you just put him on the outside. It's crazy. You mentioned, like, the they spent – All this money to improve the positions and and get these skill guys that A, made them redundant, and then completely negate all that by putting together one of the worst coaching staffs you can imagine offensively. I mean, this was a critical year to see what Mac Jones is, and they pissed it away. I mean, they absolutely did. I, I can't believe a franchise as smart typically as the Patriots were to do such a dumb move like this at a critical juncture.
2: You know, I call it out geniusing yourself. So mm. then we have these genius coaches, and they just think whatever they throw out there is going to work because everything else I've done for 20 years has worked. So let's just keep doing whatever. And and I think, you know, I mean, obviously Bill Belichick is arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I don't know. Lately, things, decisions that they've made, him as the GM, him as running the staff. We've seen some some decisions that maybe haven't worked out to their level. And like I said, he'll know 10 million times more than I know about football in his little finger. But that said, I just think that at least he was smart enough to bring Bill O'Brien back, not the greatest hire, but better. So, but we have to see what they're going to do this year.
1: The the Patriots have picked number 14, a good spot post-combine I think for receivers if you're really to make that choice because you could trade back uh get someone in that you know the 20 to yes. 24 range pretty realistically you could also improve the offense line I didn't even mention in this but Trent Brown uh another tackle could be cut save 11 million dollars so there's a lot of they do have flexibility financially, which gives them some purpose and direction. The Bill, Bill O'Brien change, much like Nathaniel Hackett and Sean Payton. Like you could uh, put a monkey at your coach, uh, or I guess me, the same thing, and probably is an improvement over Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos. I think the same type of deal goes for Bill O'Brien, improving over Matt Patricia and Joe Judge um, in, in that regard. I actually penciled the Patriots in as one of the top landing spots for DeAndre Hopkins. I, again, if you cut De, uh, Devontae Parker and you cut Kendrick Bourne, that's $11 million saved right there. Hopkins' contract, a, a little bit more, uh, like in the $16 to $20 million range, and probably would warrant some extension if you were to be traded to the Patriots. That's the type of move that Belichick has made for the past two decades now, a depreciated asset for no real reason other than the team is desperate and capitalizing on it to make sure the other financial investments that you have, specifically the quarterback, continue to look the way you want them to. I, like I think – I think Hopkins might be the call, whether it be a second or third round pick. Um, I don't think that's that bad of an asking price for a guy that still looked really good, I thought, uh, when he got back from his suspension. I know you're lower on Hopkins than I am, though. So do you think the Hopkins move to the Patriots would be one that you would find positive for Mac Jones and them?
2: I just think Bill Belichick is going to find it difficult to see. This guy will be 31 years old in June. And look, Bill Belichick knows he has seen the decline of players. And there are not many players who are very good in their 30s. So Julio Jones crap out, mm-hmm. you know, and and, it, and if Julio I and mean, the list goes on. When you look down the rosters of teams other than offensive line and quarterback, you don't see many 30 year olds out there. Not many at all. And so I think that's the one concern. Right now, as it stands, Hopkins has a couple more years on a deal. So if you're bringing him in, and and Hopkins mentioned he might be willing to be flexible with some money, but he's still going to be making big coin. That would take him in the age 33. So if you're bringing him in, you're committing to a plus 30 receiver. So I, I think you're right that, yes, you get an alpha receiver, and that changes your whole equation. But, man, the end comes without warning, and it comes very quickly, and it will likely come during this contract if he's brought over. So I just think that whichever team gets him, there could be a poison pill in there. So I don't dispute you, but if Belichick sees the big picture of this, which he may not, that's right. why I'd
1: be nervous. He, he could be done. I mean, relatively soon. The guy's pushing eighty years old. If if he just said, nah, "Okay, I've had enough, of Mac Jones. This this is just uh not for me anymore." Uh, like I, you know, who who's to say? Bill Belichick has earned his piece in that regard. One positive takeaway, certainly from the Patriots, was the emergence of Ramondre Stevenson, who proved that he was not only a, a between the tackles ball carrier, but also a very very good pass catcher, and frankly, one of the better all around backs that we currently have in the NFL. Damian Harris set for free agency like I talked about. I would imagine he does not come back to the Patriots if only because they drafted both Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong with early day three picks last year. Uh, Where are we at with uh, Ramondre Stevenson? Like, How are you valuing him entering next year, knowing what we know about how he played, but also where the Patriots are uh, and likely what they could do this offseason?
2: Well, heck, I was one of the analysts in May of last year when people were drafting Damian Harris ahead of him. I had Stevenson way above him on my draft board. I saw him as a three down back. I saw him as a natural receiver, a player who runs with power, both in the run and the pass game, the versatility. I I just felt that Bill Belichick can't go away from that enough and he had 89 targets Stevenson did last year, which was a great number. Uh his production was up and down, but overall, five yards a carry, and this is what defense is targeting in the run game. And I think that he was a could have been a star two years ago hmm. had he been used more regularly, which Belichick didn't do, which is fine. It when Stevenson was a rookie, that's kind of the way Belichick often does things. But I think at this point, Belichick may not have any other choice but to ride Stevenson because he is the real deal and at some point you just got to let him do his job instead of Kevin Harris or Pierre Strong mixing him. I'm sure they'll get on the field some but I think J. Stevenson flirts with 300 touches this season. Not not the 400 on the lead back seat but I see him getting 300 touches which is a little more than last year. It was close to that but I think he gets a little bit of a tick upwards and I do think once the top six running backs or so are off the board, I think mm. he's a player that you're considering because of that three down skills set, and again, that pass catching ability in fantasy football is massive.
1: Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about Ramondre Stevenson among the top twenty four picks in drafts, but I wouldn't be surprised by August if we, we are like that's just a foregone conclusion. That's where we're going to take Ramondre Stevenson, given what the Patriots do again. The improvement over Joe Judge and Matt Patricia at offensive <laughs> corner cannot be understated. I mean, like literally anybody else out there might do a better job than those two combined. Uh, and if you say there will be better offense overall, Stevenson will be the one that benefits, no matter if there is Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris factoring in. Cause I, I do think they'll get more work uh, than maybe you're leading on, but even still a more efficient offense, which by default almost has to happen for the Patriots, will lead to Stevenson doing better. I was so impressed with his balance. I mean, like you talk about the best running backs in the league. For a guy as big as Stevenson is, to have the balance that he does, it's incredible. Josh Jacobs is one of the first guys that I'd mention when I uh, say I'm surprised by his body type because how quick he does things. Stevenson's like reverse of that, where I have no idea how he can stay on his feet and balance the way he does. That's a rare trait. When I'm looking for a fantasy player, specifically in offenses like this, rare traits matter to me a lot, no matter if he is sharing his usage. So I agree with you. I think Stevenson's going to be a pretty valuable commodity for the Patriots this year and certainly in fantasy. Last team of the AFC East, because I want to make sure we get uh, plenty of time with Derek Carr and uh, the rest of the NFC South, is, do I say my New York Jets? Is, is that is that fair, Jim, at this point? If sure. they end up trading for Aaron Rodgers? Uh, <laughs> their, their cap space is currently at $3 million. Um, I would imagine, if you were to acquire Aaron Rodgers, I'm going talk about that in a second, there's a lot of different moves that could be made. Key free agents, George Fant. Connor McGovern, James Robinson, Ty Johnson. You look at those guys, it's like, oh, that's really not that bad at all uh, whatsoever. And then you have depth pieces, Quan Alexander, Solomon Thomas, Quincy Williams. There, There's a lot of different things. Like, that's the core. There's a lot of the core of the Jets that's still there. Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, um, a lot of younger guys over past recent drafts the Jets have absolutely hit on and have made this team better than they are. Pick number 13, 7-10 record. Didn't quite live to expectations of the obvious bad pick. Zach Wilson really holding this whole thing down. If you were to say, let's add Aaron Rodgers' contract, you have to make some decisions here. So Corey Davis, probably an easy cut, saves $10 million. Braxton Berrios, $5 million, also gone, but that'll just be replaced by Randall Cobb uh, because that has to happen for some reason. C.J. Mosley and Carl Lawson will get restructured, save about 15 to 20000000 million, I'd assume, between those. And then it's tough for decisions, like Jordan Whitehead, or Dwayne Brown, you might have to cut. Um, I think you could factor in Quinton Williams extension at some point too. But if you're to say, "Hey, Jets, you have to take on Aaron Rodgers at minimum, give up forty million dollars this year. You also have to acquire Randall Cobb. Uh, you also have to cut Jordan Whitehead or cut Dwayne Brown and give up a first round pick." I mean that that ends up being a lot, even when you don't factor in other compensation the Packers could acquire in this deal. It just, I I as a Packers fan, I'm going to be happy. If the Packers get more than a second round pick for Aaron Rodgers, I'm expecting such a little return that people are going to be embarrassed and think whatever team acquires Rodgers worked over the Packers. They probably did. The Packers worked over themselves last year, but not making this deal, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. So what's your thoughts on this Aaron Rodgers flirtation with the jets and what you think New York could do?
2: I mean, it seems like this will happen. Right. All of the executives from New York flew out to California to see him. Uh, there's a buddy, Nathaniel Hackett, is kind of back into work with them and their buddies, so that kind of Aaron Rodgers kind of thing, it seems. Well, and you talk about maybe half-joking Randall Cobb. They're not bringing Cobb out there because they got Elijah Moore, and Elijah Moore was just left to rot last year, and that's rough because this guy is – a great slot receiver played 66% there last year, but he should be a full-time slot. He ran a four, three, five at his 40. He has 90th percentile agility, and he has well above average explosiveness. This is a weapon that Aaron Rodgers can absolutely utilize. Um, This is better than, 20 years ago, Randall Cobb, which I know he hasn't been in league like 20 years, but it feels like it sometimes. And then, of course, you put Garrett Wilson, who can play outside, inside, wherever, and Tyler Conklin at tight end. You're giving him a trio to start with. Whatever else they put out at receiver, not really worried, but you give me the slot guy, you give me the outside alpha, you give me a very good receiving tight end. And actually, I think they would be wise to run a lot of two tight end sets. That yeah, he's on me. Yes. And then when you do that, then what? this is what happened in Green Bay a lot, too. They would run a lot of two heavy, savvy sets, two tight ends, and then defenses put one less defensive back on the field, and then you're able to throw on early downs against lighter secondaries because the defense has to respect the personnel package. And at that point, Elijah Moore, even in a two-receiver set, he could still be lined up on the same side of the field as Garrett Wilson, but in the slot, they can make use of that as well. But um, so I do think there's many paths. So I am excited if Aaron Rodgers comes there because this will be the best receiver group he has had in some time.
1: Yeah, and and I, I'm not joking about Ronald Cobb. He he will go to the Jets. He will <laughs> play over Elijah Moore, or at least. The Jets shouldn't play Randall Cobb, but that's 100% going to happen. <laughs> so whether they spend $3 million or $1 million or $5 million on Randall Cobb to the Jets, that is part of the deal when you're signing Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if Mercedes Lewis, I don't know if Mason Crosby is going over there. You mentioned a bunch of friends that he needs to have in his team, and the Packers seem to scoff at that uh, at his post-game press conference. Like that, it, Randall Cobb is going to be a New York Jet if Aaron Rodgers is there too. So that's where I think uh, Braxton Barrios getting cut makes a whole lot of sense. I, I think they will keep Elijah Moore. I don't think he gets included in any Aaron Rodgers trade because they will need as many cheap assets as you can have. And even though the Jets tried their darndest to make Elijah Moore not an asset last year, he will by default still be that. So I, yeah, he'll, he'll be on the team and should play. I don't know if I think it's as good of a receiving core as you're mentioning though, Jim, for Rodgers. Not that the Packers won by any means it was good last year and even the years before too. I mean, dating back to the... Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Donald Driver, James Jones. That was a legitimately good receiving core. But if Aaron Rodgers isn't willing to work with his receivers, which we saw the past yeah. two off seasons, you're going to have some growing pains. And sure enough, a quarter of the season goes by and it's like Aaron Rodgers only throwing 60% and he's uh, getting upset and throwing his clipboard like Tom Brady. And you're like, wait, this kind of looks familiar. Oh, it's what he's doing with the Packers. Well, yeah, that's that's because he's not willing to put in the work during the off season. I don't know. I, I hope it's I hope it's different cuz I, I root for Rodgers even though it doesn't sound like it. Uh but I would just be saying you you're expecting something else from a Jets perspective uh if you're acquiring Rodgers and I hope they get that. Uh but we haven't seen over the past 2 years. So not only again would you be acquiring his contract, Rodgers had a massive deal likely, but you're having to make cuts with Corey Davis, possibly uh Jordan Whitehead or Dwayne Brown as well too. There's a lot more moves that would have to be made to accommodate acquiring him and I think that kind of gets lost when we talk about draft compensation. Uh, when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. So the only other part that I was going to mention was that defense specifically. I think they do re-sign Williams, right? Like he was the linchpin of their early season success. And I don't feel like the Jets really wanted to acknowledge it, but I watched that Packers game, and Quentin Williams literally won them that game back in week six, week seven. That defense is legitimately good. This is not just a Robert Sala type of deal. The Jets are for real defensively, right, Jim?
2: They can rush the passer. They can cover. I mean, they are one of the best covers. Sauce Gardner is already, mm-hmm. a, I'll say top five corner, but I probably could go higher than that. Let's just say top five and be safe. And Re- Quinnen Williams is one of those rare game wreckers. There are probably about five of them in the NFL and in the interior defense, or across the defensive line, I should say. He could play inside. He could play outside. He is an absolute game wrecker. Not to Aaron Donald's level, but when you get to the next level, He is a game wrecker, and they need him because he can unlock a lot of opportunities for them, and he unlocks the pass rushers as well. So, yeah, they will definitely have to bring him back because you can't let a player like that walk out the door.
1: Yeah, I thought for sure uh, yesterday we were going to do this podcast and open with the Jets, having acquired Aaron Rodgers and what that means. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, Of course, the ownership and everyone else did meet with uh, Aaron Rodgers in his house in Malibu. I think Nathaniel Hackett didn't board the plane back, so are they just like – doing arts and crafts together at Rogers' house. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, braiding each other's hair. We'll have, we'll have to see what, what Nathaniel Hackett is still doing uh, over at Aaron Rogers' compound. Maybe he got the uh, darkness retreat kind of uh, exposure or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I would assume that's going to happen. Like, I, I, that is locked in stone in my mind the Jets did meet with Aaron Rodgers. It's just a matter of when that officially gets finalized. So that is it for us in the AFC East. I want to dive into the NFC South. Of course, Derek Carr and the Buccaneers, which, boy, I... I know the salary cap pretty well, and I have literally no idea how they're gonna maneuver this effectively and still be a playoff caliber team. But we'll dive into that in just a second. Let's get a word from our sponsors, Underdog. The 2022 NFL season is over, of course, but the fantasy football season never stops at underdog fantasy. It's the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now you can draft an underdog's the big board tournament with one million in total prizes and two hundred thousand given to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst under the scene in 2023? Well, if so, now's a chance to draft them at value. All you have to do is join the big board, draft your fantasy team, and that's it. Best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL. And not only to get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you also get hooked up with that nice, sweet, six-month free subscription to everything RotoWire has to offer. That's March Madness. That's James Anderson and Clay Link and all the baseball guys. That's uh, Jim and I talking a little bit of NFL. More Jim than me, but that's fine. Uh, That's everything you can possibly get for six months free at RotoWire. or just promo code RWNFL. I don't know, Jim, any, anything else you want to say with that?
2: That is a great, great deal because a lot of our trials are a couple of days. And six months, that gets you past draft season. So that is a deal you don't want to pass up. And I just will reiterate and I know March man is Our baseball team is second to none. So if you play fantasy baseball, get in on that. You'll catch the summer football and oh my gosh, you are in for a great deal there. So yep. Go underdog fantasy.
1: Uh, code RWNFL Again, also doubling up your first deposit up to $100. and You get those best balls as well too. We have a lot of best ball content on the site already. I know Mario Puig's been doing a lot. There will be a lot more post draft, post free agency, a lot of content overall if you're just into the NFL. So that alone too. Uh, worth worth the price tag. So
3: this Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over thirty-five different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor, is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner, Factor's the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor's also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
1: Let's talk about the NFC South. The Buccaneers at 8-9 did win the division. Uh, they sit with the number 19 overall pick. Currently, Jim, they are $48 million over in cap space. That is the largest number currently in the NFL, more than the Saints, more than the Packers. It doesn't look really good. I mean, It just doesn't. So you have Donovan Smith, Levante David, Akeem Hicks, Julio Jones, we talked about Sean Murphy Bunting and uh, Jamal Dean in past podcasts as teams who might acquire these quarterbacks. And then Mike Edwards as your key free agents this year. I know it's not a massive group. Like Julio Jones probably is done. Uh, I would be shocked if he signs anywhere else. Levante David's a pretty darn good linebacker, but at some point you just can't keep investing in those resources. And the young secondary players in Sean Murphy Bunting and Jamal Dean have been inconsistent at times. I'm like trying to map out how they can save money, doesn't look great. So the Vita Ve extension will likely get restructured. He signed that last year. Would save about eight point five million. Then Mike Evans. I mean, like Mike Evans. You just talk about DeAndre Hopkins at thirty one. Mike Evans is twenty nine. Like we're talking about a older receiver, still a, a franchise cornerstone, and I will will be a Hall of Famer in my mind. You extend him and then free up some of those void years. That's about seven million. Okay, so fifteen million about forty five. Uh, Cameron Bright Fournette, we already mentioned, was going to be cut, or at least the Buccaneers did. Uh, Ryan Suckup gets cut, too. That's another $10 million. Yeah. $25 million of the $45 million right there in, in kind of difficult moves. I would imagine Shaq Mason, the guard they acquired from the Patriots last year, and Shaquille Barrett probably get some sort of restructuring, too. This is all because of that Tom Brady retiring accelerates things on the cap. And if Brady were to come back, and if he were to go to the Dolphins, things look different. But right now, this is a dire cap situation for a team that didn't look very good for almost all of last season.
2: It probably doesn't matter because the Buccaneers are going to have to take a long organizational look and realize they are now in a rebuild. There's no two ways about it. They had a number of aging components on defense. Their offensive line has lost players over the last few years. And Donovan Smith is a a good left tackle. Not great, but good. And so he's going to have to be gone. and, And they just really need to blow it up start over and you know i mean mike evans will be around a little bit longer but fine but in terms of this team being competitive i just don't see it happen losing jamel dean to free agency that is going to be a huge hit to them that's an elite cornerback they have the other players defensively are losing not a big deal but you're losing a cornerstone player no pun intended with the word corner of course and um you know of course chris godwin will be Another year we scrutinized, move. Right? Let's I mean, right?
1: Uh, he's going to be a scrutinized move because I have in our notes here, like, you have two years left of Chris Godwin, both years, 23 million as a cap hit. That's one of the largest on a team that has a ballooning level of cap hits on the team. You could do an extension and, and make that look a little bit better. So you have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans for a long time. Or do you consider trading him? That's where I was going to go to next. That was my next question. So I don't know. Like, if you want to factor that in here too, like, I don't know. Like, if you're saying we're going to stink, we are not going to be a good team. We got the Super Bowl with Tom Brady and we're very happy with what's going to happen post Tom Brady because we signed up for that. We, we got a win out of it. I don't know if Chris Godwin is a guaranteed part of their future with that kind of cap hit right now over the next two years
2: the Buccaneers have to strongly consider moving Godwin if they have an opportunity to do so he'll be 27 which is still young this year but if they're doing a rebuild by the time the rebuild is done he'll be pushing 30 so Mm -hmm. this year next year and then all of a sudden we're getting on that that precipice of 30 and we just see it we talked about it earlier so we won't go rehash the entire age thing but it is tangible in the NFL and so at some point Chris Godwin has an injury history behind him he hasn't missed a ton of time, but he's missed games in each of the last four seasons. And it's been multiple games in each year. So there's been a history of injuries. So I do think if they had the opportunity, this would be the sell time on him because his value would be extremely high. Coming off the knee injury, he didn't have the same level of explosiveness, but numbers-wise, he piled up a ton of targets. Brady was just trying to get the ball out, it seemed to me, before getting hit. That was to the big benefit of Godwin. I mean, he didn't even have 10 yards a catch last year. 104 catches for only 1,023 yards. But um, again, it was just these short passes.
1: Yeah, and they have Russell Gage as well, too, who you can't really cut. Uh, It wouldn't do anything financially for them, so you might as well keep Russell Gage around. I don't think Russell Gage is nearly as good as Chris Godwin, but if that's what you're asking Goblin to do, fine. Like Russell Gage could, could more or less pull it off. The part that I thought was interesting, if you were to trade Chris Godwin again, you're saving more money. But you look at the free agent markets like Alan Lazard, uh, Jacoby Myers, didn't talk much with the Patriots. I don't know if he comes back, but th- there's not a lot of like stud guys. Juju Smith Schuster also at no. the top of that list. DJ Chark, like I don't. Chris Goblin would instantly be the best receiver available oh, yeah. if you were to put him free agency right now, like of that group. And if you are the Buccaneers and recognizing, okay, we are going to be in a rebuild situation. You can get some premium draft capital. I don't know if you, it's more than the second or third. Yeah, that's kind of what Hopkins is going for. And, and maybe you say Goblin's a little bit younger, similar injury history, a little bit worse injury history. Maybe, I don't know. That's, I think it's kind of like a admitting what we're looking at uh, with the NFC South division, but also, the future without Tom Brady and saying, I think we can do better with an asset right now. And Chris Goblin in a market that is desperately needing receivers. And Oh, by the way, didn't get really aided by the NFL combine too. Like there wasn't any guys that really jumped up substantially for what we we're projecting. It's it's a low wide receiver market. And we know that position is a premium over the past two or three years. Goblin might be a trade that I, I think some might are not, some are not anticipating.
2: And don't forget in this era of heavy zone defenses, Godwin has incredible agility and he's shown that playing the slot heavy in his career, a team that is an offensive juggernaut that needs help to open and operate the middle of the field. Godwin would be an integral part of any team that wanted to go that route makes life easier for your outside receivers. So what he specifically brings, depending on the team that would look for it, it may be actually more valuable than what DeAndre Hopkins brings to the table. We know what Hopkins Mm -hmm. is. He is an alpha outside, but that middle of the field is gold because a lot of teams will drop eight in coverage, drop seven, depending on what your offense is. Godwin's the player that beats all of those configurations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to spend some time on the Saints who actually did acquire a relevant franchise quarterback in the form of Derek Carr. Of course, I was talking with the Jets who haven't quite made that move for Aaron Rodgers yet. Um, I will be honest right now, Jim, when I say I love doing this contract and cap stuff like that, I genuinely enjoy doing it. The Saints piss me off because I I just don't know how they continually do it. And at this point, I just assume it will always happen. I have no idea what they're doing to always make it happen. And while I feel like I'm intelligent in it, the Saints make me feel stupid. So when I say that the, the Saints are over $24 million in cap space, uh, they don't have a lot of options for easy cuts. I'm doing this with a, I know exactly that uh, Mickey Loomis will figure it out and the Saints will be just fine. And they'll probably sign two or three relevant free agents. Like I I completely understand. Derek Carr signed a $37 million deal per year contract with the Saints still where they are uh, salary-wise. I don't know how they continue to do it. Uh, key free agents for the Saints this year: Bradley Roby, Marcus Davenport, Mark Ingram, Andy Dalton. Jarvis Landry is the only really relevant one that I thought uh, maybe they would want back. I'm not positive. We'll talk about that a bit more. If you cut Jameis Winston, who after the Derek Carr trade, or I'm sorry, signing feels like you need to do, you could save four million um, at some point, or via trade as well. too. something to consider. Michael Thomas is going to be a post June 1 cut. I don't think enough people are talking about that too, but he restructured his contract back in January to essentially hit the open market a little bit earlier. I'm surprised the Saints haven't done that yet. But that's going to be 13 million that get saved too. I, I don't know. How do we feel, Jim, about the Derek Carr era with New Orleans? Because that's going to happen and it's going to be the thing for the next three or four years in a division that might not be that good. That Derek Carr could pretty easily win.
2: You know, Derek Carr goes from an offense with Devontae Adams and sometimes with Darren Waller when he was on the field. (laughs) And yet Josh McDaniels realized we can't win with this guy. And that took guts. It takes guts. He's a top 25 quarterback, maybe a top 20 quarterback in the NFL because it drops off pretty significant to the top 10, top 12 and so on and so forth. But he's in that range, but he's not the guy who's winning you anything. This is one of those stay in purgatory moves He's good enough to win some games. He's good enough to have games where he's moving the football well. But there are too many games and long stretches where he just doesn't lead the team where they need to go. And this offense is interesting. The offensive line has been crumbling for the last two to three years. And it's at a point now where I'm not expecting much from the offensive line. And look, Joey Bosa called this out two years ago. He came out publicly and said, Derek Carr can't handle pressure. So we know when we get pressure on him, he's going to fold. Now that's paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And he's going to see pressure behind this offensive line. And that is going to be a big problem. And target-wise, sure, Chris Olave is fantastic, a future star, maybe a star already. But outside of that, it's going to be really tough because he does not have classic weapons to deal with. And that's going to be problematic for him. And this is not a team any longer that is built to lean on the running game. Alvin Kamara, look, we don't know what his situation legally is. July thirty first, he is yeah. going to face the judge based on that battery. Uh, yeah,
1: d- dating back to the year before, right? He, he, it's going to be now Pro almost Bowl. two years removed from the yes. from that Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl allegation or uh, altercation. And I, it sounds like he'll be suspended in some capacity. I, I would I would assume the NFL because He doesn't have to be guilty for the NFL to still make that choice, but they always act when that legal situation actually happens, which is why we haven't seen anything unfold dating back to that event last year.
2: And last year, what was floated out was that personal conduct policy, six games minimum. And if that's the case, that's six games without Kamara. That is not good. So anyway, I am very concerned. Derek Carr is a mid range QB2. So your super flex league's great, but this is not going to be a great situation. I just don't like the team around him aside from Olave. And I know you're going to ask me about another player soon, so I'll let you go.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say I'm higher on Derek Carr than I think you are. But I I recognize saying he's a top 15 quarterback is quibbling because difference between top 15 and top 20 is so marginal, right? Like yeah. I don't I don't know if there's that substantial difference. But this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And last year, he got benched. I felt more like politics. Like, if you you can't tell me that Jared Stidham was actually better than Derek Carr. I know that Stidham did fine in those games, whatever else. Like, Derek Carr could have probably done that as well, too. Or was just pissed off with McDaniels. And and there's a lot of things that happen, like, as a person, that you, you can't really explain here looking at the numbers or watching football take place. The year before, the Raiders were only a few plays away from beating the Bengals, who eventually went to the Super Bowl. Like, the it, Derek Carr is not that bad of a quarterback going in a dome, has Chris Olave, theoretically has some sort of uh, Elvin Kamara. Is Jawan Johnson that much different than Darren Waller? Maybe like uh, if you're like the light beer version of Darren Waller is Jawan Johnson. I don't know. Like I the the issue that the Saints are gonna have is they don't have a first-round pick because they trade up for Olave. The Eagles have that number 10 overall. So there's no obvious way to improve either the offensive line. Or the skill guys. Okay, say you're going to sign one of the one or two of these cheap running backs. Cool, uh, like big deal. I don't I don't know what you really do. And you mentioned Jawan Johnson also uh, as an unrestricted free agent. I don't know if he's going to want to leave or what. But like, if you're signing athletic tight ends, I feel like Jasicki is your first one. Either way, the Saints do a lot of these different magical things with their skill guys that I think they could improve. I also do like Rashid Tiahe. That's the guy you were alluding to with players that I think could be better. So. Undrafted free agent, the Saints by default are going to need to rely on him because he's about as cheap of an asset as you could possibly get in the NFL and certainly in their dire cap spot. I think Rashid Shahid not only will be a capable starter, but in the same vein, if you're doing a best ball league in round 16, you're like, "Eh, let's get a guy that can get me, that can be in my lineup for best ball two or three times a week. Sorry, two or three times in a season that week. That'd be interesting. Rashid Shahid fits that bill to me more than anybody else.
2: So, full disclosure, in all my best ball drafts offseason, I have Rashid Shahid on every roster. But, yes. <laughs> but, but but what I'm I'm understanding is this, though. He had 34 targets last year. He was not on the team all year. He signed in October, I believe. And, so, and he was two different players last year. When he came in in the beginning of the year, he was used as a deep threat. And his speed was very real. Uh, he was mm-hmm. terrorizing defenses. But then the last few games, he was used more in a versatile role. But we're only talking 34 targets. So if teams are trying to adjust to his speed, now all of a sudden he's running short and intermediate. The defense had no idea what to expect from him. I always worry about the super small sample from an yeah. undrafted free agent you know, in his age 25 season this year. Uh, so I have shares of him. I do see potential for real upside, but we have to be very nervous about the small sample size and if it if extrapolates forward,
1: where are you getting him right now? In best. So I haven't done any best balls yet. So 12th if you're you round,
2: have a, 12th round 12th round of 12 team leagues. Yes.
1: Uh Yeah. I'd have to look at uh, available guys in that range. I love, I like relatively speaking, I love Rashid Shahid. I think, he looked a lot better than people were ever willing to give him credit for. And what you mentioned at the end was really important, that he was getting relevant targets. It wasn't, oh, just do the Deontay Hardy run 75 yards down the field thing. We'll see if uh, Winston or Dalton or Taysom Hill can hit, hit you in a trick play. He was getting relevant targets at the end of the season. Was it the Saints also saying, eh, we're not going to win the division? I know we're kind of competing with the Buccaneers, but let's see what we have in these younger guys. And we're battered up with Michael Thomas and uh, Jarvis Landry injured too. It could have been that, you know, like it could have been force feeding it a little bit to see what you have. I don't know. I, I'm interested. Twelfth round, though, maybe not so much. Uh, in best ball, it makes total sense because he is one of those players for the double digit draft range. 100 percent will be a top score in your lineup at two or three different junctures of the season, and that matters to me quite a bit. So, yes. Um, let's move over to the Panthers, who I'm, I'm interested. In. So, Panthers sit at seven and ten this past year. Of course, were competitive up until the week before or final week of the regular season have the number nine overall pick though, despite that, because that MC South division so bad cap space, they're 20, they're 2 million over right now. Good news is not a lot of major free agents to sign. Uh, Matthew Adonis, their defensive tackle uh, probably a rotational guy at, at this juncture, yes. certainly strong, but rotational. I think it's going to be Bradley Bozeman, their center that commands a deal upwards of 10, $12 million per season if not more. And we've mentioned Deontay Foreman on just put every podcast. Your quintessential rotational guy that maybe fits in as the, the bulk ball carrier. The change offensively scheme-wise towards the latter half of the season helps the Panthers win a few critical games. The defense got a little bit better. Not great, though, uh, and certainly built through their secondary. And then Brian Burns as well, too, who would imagine will get an extension at some point. I don't know if Shaq Thompson is on the team next year. Yeah, he has the, the cap hit at $24 million currently. If they cut him, they save 13 million. So if you're saying we are in a cap difficult spot, not an obvious way. Shaq Thompson's good, but not great. Hasn't really performed to that level, saves that much. I wonder if he does end up uh, going too. But the real question is going to be what does Frank Reich and the Panthers do at quarterback? No Philip Walker, no Sam Darnold. Uh, You still have uh, Matt Corral, who broke his foot, didn't play all of last season, was a third round pick. You still um, could go a number of different directions. As a veteran or a rookie, what do you think the Panthers do?
2: They have been trying to get something figured out a quarterback for a few years since Cam Newton's gone, and obviously nothing's come close to working. With the ninth pick, I have to think they'll do anything in their power if they believe in a particular quarterback to try to trade up and make something happen. From the nine spot, it's not insane to try to trade up, especially if they like one of those top three quarterbacks. And that That is the route I think they'll try. Now, whether the deal is exorbitant, if other teams are willing to pay more, but I, realistically, that would be the organizational move. You're bringing in a new coach. You'd like to pair them up with a quarterback and get the program started in the same way with the consistency. Now, if that happens, we don't know, but I do think they will make an attempt to get a quarterback that way, Joe.
1: Can I give you a name? Uh, and I will preface it by saying, It's it's not exactly uh, just a roll of the dice or a shrug of the shoulders. Like maybe I maybe I know something. Maybe I don't. But maybe I know something. Um, Will Levis plus fifteen hundred, number one overall pick. You talk about trading up. You know, if you're to say what quarterback looks and acts like Carson Wentz, I don't think Carson Wentz ever put mayo in his coffee or ate the banana peels just raw. Will Levis looks a lot like Carson Wentz. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You mentioned trading up, that that could be the, the case. I would just say I'm, I'm interested in that line as we'll have us number one overall pick if they were to trade up with the Bears. So quarterback, okay, uh, certainly one, two. I had also mentioned Bijan Robinson, if they did stay at nine, kind of an interesting interesting fit too with what we know Deontay Foreman was to do for the Panthers last year. The scheme obviously will be different, but they were reliant uh, with the Colts on Jonathan Taylor when Frank Wright was with the Colts. You get a stud running back, one of the top, uh, draft the guys of all time, or at least of the last two decades or so, in Bijan John Robinson, I, that kind of interests me as well, too. Like, you, you, you have options if you're the Panthers staying at nine offensively to improve along with D.J. Moore, who feels like they're one lone offensive asset in a skill position way.
2: Now, their offensive line has really improved, so they don't have to Mm -hmm. worry about that. But honestly, I don't see them going B. John Robinson. They just had to get rid of Christian McCaffrey, who they picked in the top six or seven, I believe, when he was coming. And, And I think they realized the financial ramifications from an organizational standpoint they had because they had to put the capital into that running back. And so that's the problem. After three years, they're looking to tear up the deal and get a new one and it, it puts pressure on the organization at that point and so and i i i really think although saquon barkley was a good player when he's healthy i think a lot of teams are not following that model mm. of wanting to take a running back in the first round just because they're gone quick they want money they 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 have injury rate i just i'd be surprised Unless it was the very, very late first that a team would invest invest that draft capital in a running back.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I I guess I thought because the Panthers had success with McCaffrey, uh, and maybe if they cut out before that the the end of his rookie deal, but five years of relatively cheap play for a guy that does a lot for them, operating in a similar vein as Jonathan Taylor, um, yeah, I, I actually don't I still I still will stand by I think they could take B. John Robinson, even though your your point is totally valid with what they did with Christian McCaffrey, the, the amount of money they invested in him. But they ended up getting a pretty good deal. I mean, they, they got draft capital that's going to be relevant for them. There there was worse there was worse running back mistakes teams have made, more obviously than the Christian McCaffrey situation. And McCaffrey is a different player than yes. Bijan Robinson. No matter how special uh, Robinson might be, McCaffrey was a different level. And I, I recognize that as well, too. There's no easy cross-comparison. But I, I don't know if their experience with CMC necessarily ruled the Panthers out from doing this again. So any other notes that you want to make in the Panthers? Otherwise I want to talk about the Falcons who definitely are not interested in Lamar Jackson whatsoever.
2: Signed on to Atlanta. Let's go. All right.
1: So uh, the Falcons, along with a number of other teams yesterday came out yesterday being Tuesday said, no, we, we don't think Lamar Jackson's very good. Uh, clearly, even though we could get a MVP quarterback on the free agent market and only gave two first round picks and some money for him. No, 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 we don't want to do that. Definitely not collusion whatsoever. Falcons sit with $67 million in cap space, Jim. If, there, if there's one team in the past two decades that have said, oh, man, I love these running quarterbacks, really athletic guys, what can they do in a scheme and system that works best for Lamar Jackson? No, we, 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 we definitely don't want that whatsoever. That doesn't make sense for us to do. Oh, and we wanted to show Watson last year, but no, this is the Lamar Jackson guy. Uh, definitely not nearly as good whatsoever. It's a joke. And I do think the Falcons are going to consider Lamar Jackson at some point. They'll have this revelation. Oh, no, I, I had no idea how good Lamar Jackson could be. Um, I, I think that is the, the, the real landing spot for Lamar. If you were to say a team pays two first round picks and the 40 to 55 million to contract, whatever it might be, the Falcons and their cap space make a lot of sense. The only issue is they're not a quarterback away. I mean, like th- this no. team is still, despite the 7 and 10 record, at a talent deficiency relative to the rest of the NFL, uh, they, might, they, they might not lose many free agents. Caleb McGarry and Isaiah Oliver were the only two that I really thought would be worth resigning. Casey Hayward, uh, if you were to cut him, saves $5 million. They could make things work to, to get Lamar and additional guys. I'm curious, do you feel like this is the top planning spot for Lamar Jackson?
2: So it may well be, and, and from some standpoint, yes, but we have to look longer term. The assumption is if you're going to pay two first-round picks, that's going to have to be a long contract. You're going to lose two first-round picks. Your salary cap is going to be heavily impacted for the next number. You're $67 under this year, but where does it put you next year in the three years following? It is a long-term picture that not just a GM looks at, but the people who are in charge of your salary cap in an organization, they're going to have to look at that because what can you put around the quarterback to, to, to bring in a team? We talk about this frequently, Joe, if you have a quarterback on a cheap deal, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, a lot of things can happen really well, but if the only way Lamar Jackson's going is guaranteed money for a long-term deal, there's no flexibility there either. That that changes it.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, do they have a quarterback on a cheaper deal? What were your impressions on Desmond Ritter? Because I, he he entered last year's draft as a possible first-round pick. He and Malik Willis, of course, fell down to the third round along with Matt Corral, and you're like, oh, okay, so this quarterback class really stinks, and Malik Willis didn't look like he knew what he was doing on the NFL field. I didn't feel like Desmond Ritter was that bad, and the whole point was that he just needed more seasoning, more practice, more repetition. Towards the end of the season, while Arthur Smith's archaic run-only scheme – didn't really make me feel confident in Desmond Ritter. I wouldn't say I feel bad either. It almost feels like uh, a more athletic version of Davis Mills after his rookie season. We also know how Davis Mills ended up in year two, and it wasn't a whole lot much better.
2: Yeah. These four game cameos at the end of seasons, they're very difficult to quantify. First of all, he threw between 26 and 33 passes up. So those were obviously in that offense, they were going to be suppressed. And smartly, Ritter locked in heavily on Drake London. Mm-hmm. London was like over 70 yards in all but one game. I and mean, He was definitely doing well. And, and that speaks to him being a true difference making wide receiver in this league. But other than those connections to Drake London, Ritter wasn't getting a lot done. Now, again, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to pass the ball, but that is the problem we have. There was not much to base on. This will continue to be a run first offense. We don't know what Ritter has. Now, what the coaching staff will have seen were practice habits. What did they learn there? They will know more from his practices about what they have. That will ultimately shape their decision on how they feel about their quarterback position. But what we saw on the field, I don't think we could responsibly say, yes, this is his track. We don't know yet.
1: Yeah, you had mentioned a, a run first offense. That's not entirely true. It was a run only offense. I mean, like, I, how, how can we do this in the year twenty twenty two be a run only offense that the Falcons won seven games? I think is going to give Arthur Smith the confidence to continue to do this. But when you have guys like Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and you're like, eh, what if I only throw it ten times? I mean, that that is like bush league level of negligence, I think, offensively. And I don't know if it's because Desmond Ritter is limited. I don't know if it's just the scheme. I don't know if Arthur Smith is going to look at that and be like, yeah, hey, you know, results showed. We outperformed our expectations. It's, it doesn't feel like you're able to build on the assets you have when you make choices like that. Like we that we are sitting here after four games and saying, I don't know anything about Desmond Ritter. I don't know. We'll have to see. It is a problem. I mean, like where the Falcons were this season, they were never going to be competitive. The Marcus Mariota experiment, fine. And when they decided to cut the cord, was probably the right call to give Ritter a month and a half to see what he does with the team but that we can't answer any questions because they never took the training wheels off is not a good organizational philosophy with where they're standing right now. And, and that guys like Drake London looked good towards the end of the season fine because he was the only one getting passes. And that Kyle Pitts, supposedly one of the generational tight ends coming out is upset and frustrated and blocking more than he's receiving passes is also an issue too. I mean, like you, you are literally, this is, this is malpractice with the assets that the Falcons seem to have. And I was hoping Lamar coming to the team would open things up. We'll get a little bit more loosey-goosey in the hips, have a drink or two kind of deal. But I don't know if that's the case. I have no idea what the Falcons want to do. And that's where I'm wondering if they choose to slow play this rebuild, If eventually there's just going to be so many assets that this team has that by default they're going to be good, and especially in a division that looks like they are not going to be good for some time. Like If the Falcons do this right, they could be – uh, in a playoff like positioning five-plus years, whether it be with Desmond Ritter or not. And I, I'm curious if you think the Falcons should dive in with Lamar Jackson or spend heavily this offseason or if it is still continue to slow play, knowing where they stand in the NFC.
2: I just think they have such little chance of competing anytime soon. I just think that it's not a wise idea, but how do you not do it? If you could get an MVP-winning quarterback, it's going to cost you. It might set things back in way, but the league is built around quarterbacks. So again, I still think, I think there's collusion going on. So I don't think it's happening, but if they could get him, how do you say no to that? Any team in the league, you build around your quarterback. If he's that good, you've already got Pitts. You've already got London. At least right. you've got them on cheap deals. So I would say, although they're, they're probably not going to do it. How do you not? So I would, if I were them, yeah, you have to, you have no choice. Franchise quarterback, you sign up all day long for that.
1: And I think the Ravens might be one of the few teams that actually values Desmond Ritter as an asset, uh, looking for a younger deal, typically are pretty good at developing these guys, or at least they can mask some of the deficiencies you might see in a prospect. Like they they might be a team that says, oh, third round starting quarterback. Yes, I, I, will, I will pay a premium, whatever that might be, for a third round starting quarterback. And I don't know if other teams look, let's say the commanders, they, I know they're, possibly starting Sam Howell. It's, that's a different conversation, but I don't, I don't know if the commanders would find Desmond Ritter as attractive as the Ravens might, for example. So um, definitely something to keep in mind. Hopefully the NFL stops colluding. That would be really cool uh, and neat, I guess. But yeah, I, I have I have zero faith as well, too. Uh, I, I don't know how much faith I have in Aaron Rodgers making a difference for the Jets. That seems like a foregone collusion. We had a lot of stuff packed in this episode uh, that isn't quite coming to fruition, but certainly could as well soon. Speaking of that, next week, we know for sure things will be coming to fruition because Jim and Joe will be live for the NFL free agency kickoff. Looking forward to that quite a bit. Um, I, we, Jake Latarski and I did the instant live reactions to the trade deadline. And all that happened was Neem Hines were traded. So oh. God, I hope that we get more, <laughs> we get more going on yes. uh, over the hour span or whatever we will for the podcast next week. But if nothing else, Jim, I will enjoy your uh, company. We'll put a pause on the divisional round recaps. Uh, and kick things off with the 2 fur divisionals the following week. But next week, 3 o'clock uh, Central, 4 Eastern, your live reactions to free agency for the NFL March 15th. I can't wait.
2: Absolutely. This is going to be absolute fun. Please join us for this. And, look, if there's not a lot of action, we'll talk about what happened in the first two days. We've got you covered. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. The, yeah. The, the legal tampering period, uh, whatever that might be, I guess I, I would, I'd like to know uh, how that applies to other, other everyday life situations, but that's fine. Different podcasts for a different day, I guess. So, all right, that does it for us on the Wednesday edition of the roadway NFL podcast brought to you by underdog again next week, live reactions to NFL free agency. Looking forward to that. Thanks everyone for listening.